From the Orange County Fire Authority, this is the Pass Along Podcast, where we address firefighter issues from top to bottom, from your helmet down to your boots. Now, here's your host. Hi, and welcome back to the OCFA Pass Along Podcast. My name is Jeff Hughes, and I'm a fire captain currently assigned to risk management as the Cancer Awareness and Prevention Captain. I'm going to be your host for this podcast, actually for this six-part series on our podcast. We're doing something a little different than normal. On October 24th and 25th, the OCFA hosted a behavioral health conference titled Past, Present, and Future. Since then, we've been preparing the presentations from that event so we can make them available to everyone who wasn't able to attend. You can find the video versions of the presentations in our show notes of each podcast episode as well as on Vimeo on the OCFA page. This is the fourth podcast in our six-part series and features Chris Bader. He's a fire captain for Coral Springs Fire Department and president of the Florida Firefighters Safety and Health Collaborative. Here's Chris. Certainly the next uh, group of speakers that we have, uh, their story really represents the present of the entire uh, the program that we've set up from past, present, and future. Uh, this is the present because Coral Springs in Parkland, Florida, South Florida, they have a first-rate firefighter safety and health program already established. One of the speakers here, Captain Bader, is the founder of the Florida Firefighter Safety and Health Collaborative, a very proactive program that works with the entire state for firefighter safety and health initiatives. Um, so when you look at <clears throat> a department that's already kind of identified either the, whether you're talking about the cancer awareness and prevention piece or the behavioral health, you know that the issue's already been talked about and there's already been forward movement to try to deal with this thing. Well, <clears throat> 245, 2.40 Eastern Standard Time, February 14th, 2018, a mass shooting occurred at the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. 17 people were tragically killed and 15 more hospitalized, making it amongst one of the most deadly school shootings in modern U.S. history. The Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School incident represents the president, the present in this conference. Please welcome Coral Springs Fire Captain and founder of the Florida Firefighter Safety and Health Collaborative, Captain Chris Bader. I don't have any wildland in Southeast Florida. Got a lot of beaches, water. But Central and North Florida, they do. Four times a year do we get together to bring that region of fire departments within that area together to beat. In some cases, we've had over 100 different people, 100, 100 different agencies represented in one meeting, especially the one we just had in the Panhandle. And at every meeting, we have a subject matter extra come in and talk about an issue that's affecting the fire service with firefighter safety and health. Why is it that we only get together during funerals. And you ask yourself, oh man, I, I haven't seen the San Diego guys in a long time. It's good that they came all the way up here to, for this funeral. 
we can do this. We can do this together and meet with each other and talk with each other and network with each other. And if you're creating a policy that works for this agency, we can modify it and, and you could take it. We could learn from each other. So we model after a lot of the work that's already been done. The NFF's done some great work, IFF, IFC, but we're trying to put it all in one place so that everybody has access to it. Because everybody wants to run with their own organization and create all these different things. We're just trying to align it so that one people can, our people can go to one place and get anything they need. We knew we couldn't take every issue that we're facing in the fire service and try to tackle it. So we focus in on these four areas. These are our four areas. And I'm going to really get, kind of get into the mental health component, but I wanted to give you a, a brief overview on what, what the collaborative is really about. So we focus in on firefighter cancer. We focus in on mental health, uh, the health and safety component as well, and, and fire, overall firefighter safety. Certainly, if you're healthy, and we now know, based on research, if you're not healthy and fit, are you more susceptible to cancer? Just from that alone? We know that. That's accurate. If you get cancer, are you more likely to get depression? Yep. Absolutely. If you're, healthy, if you're not healthy and fit, are you more likely to be a risk to yourself or your firefighters, coworkers? Absolutely. So there's kind of an area where they all kind of work together here. So um, Sam and uh, Vicki kind of lead our, 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 our face team, our statewide firefighters attacking cancer epidemic team, about 16 fire departments, um, as well as Sylvester Cancer and the FCSN who have partnered together and they meet on a monthly basis via WebEx to work on firefighter cancer initiatives that we're working on throughout state. Uh, just a couple of some of the current projects they're working on, um, certainly PPE, exhaust capturing, clean cab components, all different types of issues that we're to, issues that you guys are probably working on here as well. And then recently we just um, worked with the state fire marshal's office to create, they, they gave us, they basically said, here's a million dollars state legislation to help Florida's fire service. Well, how much does a million dollars really do? Not much when you have 450 fire departments. So we came up with basically what's kind of been out there, a decon process, a decon kit, policies, procedures, SOGs. There's actually in, that, in those green buckets, not a brush, Dawn soap, uh, two uh, couplings that basically reducers for, there's key hose, green hoses. Um, there's uh, seven, six ML bags. Uh, a soft bristle brush, and then the most important part is a thumb drive with uh, policies, procedures, and educational information and training material that was developed by Sylvester Cancer Center along with us and submitted. We have now 4,500 of them went out to 450 fire departments, and that was spread out with that $1 million. So we tried to do the, the biggest bang for the buck, and these are just some of the projects that we're working on. We know we're not the only ones doing that, and there's other states who are also doing those things, but that's the kind of work that we're very heavily involved with. Um, we're definitely going to dive into the mental wellness component. Um, we have three uh, team leaders who are, and it, what I really want you to focus on, not necessarily names, but if you see the agencies, different agencies within the state of Florida who are working on these issues together. We know what the issue is. Suicide, post-traumatic stress, addictions. So this is my personal belief and also of our team, that to have a good behavioral health program, you need to encompass and embrace these types of things. Certainly training, CISMs out there, chaplaincy. Chaplains were big 
uh, a while ago, and then they disappeared. Now they came back. They're coming back in. Chaplaincies are a huge component. And for our people who are in the peer support, um, sometimes when you get involved with addictions, one of the really, really awesome components of having a chaplain is that if you have a member who may also be in that intertwined mix of possibly being under investigation, and he may need peer support because maybe he's going down that wrong route, guess who's got the ability to talk to them? Your chaplains, because they're protected. Your peer support people may end up having to go and get called into court. Chaplaincy is a huge resource within departments. Peer support. We're really going to kind of dive in a little bit more on peer support, but that's a huge component. I'll tell you how that worked within my own agency on uh, the Parkland thing and how it was developed prior. I want to include counseling, EAP, and that CRT is clinician response team. They're mo the majority of the country does not. And I'll really talk a little bit more about what our CR clinician response team does. They get paid a lot. Right, Marie? Zero. T-shirts. I, I give her some T-shirts. She gets a nice ID. She gets behind the gate now. It, yeah, polo shirts, polo shirts. Because there's good clinicians out there who really want to do a good thing, and they want to actually help us, and they have nothing other than helping the fire service. Recovery centers. Where are we sending our people? And if you send them to the same place that you're actually responding to, is that a problem? Heck yeah. And what does your firefighter think? This is what they think of me? This is where we pick up the other crack people. Now I'm going there? We've got to really think and look and, and, and actually kind of vet some of these places out. That's not something the fire service has always done. We've always said EAP, send them over there. They'll be fine. And we've kind of washed our hands with it, right? We just don't know the scars that we're kind of creating with some of these things. So, so let me give you a little, here's another program that we developed called Clinician Awareness Program. It's a two-day program where they get fully into our culture. We call them names. Do all kinds of crazy stuff with them. So what they actually do is they get into bunker gear. They actually visually see a full uh, first do response. They're in a live fire. They don't actually go into the live fire, in case there's any investigators here. They actually go around it. They feel the heat coming off of it. But they actually watch. And we have a guy on a microphone basically doing a play-by-play -play of what's actually happening. So they physically actually see all the different components and why things are happening. And afterwards, they kind of get a little debrief and they get some. So that's the first part. Um, they actually then go into a um, smoked out maze with the SCBA mask on and they pull out actually a, a, a dummy victim. Um, the next day they actually get to go to station visits, uh, do a little bit of a ride along and there's a, com there's a whole educational component as well that goes along with it and then they get CEUs for it. We've, we've had to actually, we know where to get CEUs for firefighters. I had to learn where to get CEUs for clinicians, because that's a whole nother world. Not something I remember signing up for. And we've actually expanded further to work with, our insurance provider happens to be Cigna, and we reached out to Cigna to help them understand what's happening within the fire service.
and they were actually there. Actually, they flew in some of their um, lead uh, uh, behavioral health specialist that runs the Cigna for the United States, actually flew in from Minnesota all the way down to be a part of the program. We've done this program seven times now, and we're keeping all the data from every clinician that we go through, the, that goes through the program to upload into something that I'm going to show you here in, the future, in a little bit. So some of our partners, uh, University of Miami, uh, Nova Southeastern, Cigna, and what we're doing right now is bridging, uh, we're creating on our website a bridge to upload both clinicians and peer supporters uh, together so we can give those resources out to firefighters if they need them. But I really want to highlight the bottom there. In the state of Florida, if you want to become a firefighter, you go through, um, you put yourself through from a civilian to a fire, state fire academy. You get a book, go through that book, guess how much mental health and wellness stuff is in that book? Couple lines. Nothing to prepare you for what you're gonna see. Well, we've been fortunate enough to work with both these research institutes to develop curriculum that's actually now gonna be put into minimum standards. And it's actually required by law now. We, we just passed that law where they'll actually have four hours of minimum, minimum um, training on mental health and minimum standards. The law also expands to require employers to also provide four hours of mental health per year. So this is no longer just talk, it's happening. And we're actually very honored to be a part of creating that curriculum where the new IFTA book will come out with that thing hopefully by mid-June of next year. So that when firefighters come into the fire service, it's not like you're starting from scratch. They've already got a pretty good awareness level and you're gonna expand on that awareness level. So where does all that information, clinician awareness stuff, peer supporters, it goes into a project that we're working on called Redline Rescue. So in the comfort of your home, on your mobile device that has more power in it than the space shuttle program did when it first took off, you can auto-populate -pop based on where you're at, your location, which doesn't pinpoint you, because we know firefighters don't wanna be pinpointed, but it gives you a general area where you can just basically go from your phone, wherever you're at, any part of the state of Florida, and auto-populate, you can get a clinician, and you can get a peer-to-peer -peer -peer provider, another peer supporter, based on what you want. And it's like a 20-something questions you answer, and it'll auto-populate. Whether it's, I'm in the military, I want to talk to a driver, uh, you name it, and you can get that. And I'll even tell you what insurance is that, you, that are accepted. So, this is a pro program that we, um, that one of our teammates, Dustin Hawkins, uh, put together after his uh, best friend, um, battalion chief from Indian River, took his life. I'm sure you saw a little bit of it on Facebook. And certainly the last two things, and I'll get right into what we did with Parkland, was uh, our health and fitness component. Uh, Bert works for Osceola County Fire. Uh, he's a health nut, and he is all in on all the different initiatives that we're working on. And basically we're working with industry on all these things. <laughs> working with Pierce on Clean Cab, we're working with, we're actually going to MSA to come up with a new way to, uh, with the helmet liners to, to, so they're easily removable, so we're not buying two sets of helmets, we actually clean them out much better, kind of throw them away. Um, and certainly on the, oh, with working with Exos, who does a lot of work with the NFL to really do, and, and the military, to come up with new ways to really help reduce our injuries. Some of it, simply simple stuff by our nutrition and certainly something as simple as stretching. 
So um, again, we're partnering with these organizations and they want to help us. And right now it's going to cost us zero. So you can do this, I'm telling you. And last but not least, but for overall firefighter safety, we're going to talk about obviously the terrorism component and mass shootings that we're having. But really, what about just reducing our risk responding to calls? Are there a lot of calls that you guys go to and like, why am I going code three to this? Yeah. We would go code three sometimes for suicide threats on a Facebook. Really? Our cops aren't even going code three. We, our policy says we're going to stage until the cops clear the scene. But I'm going code three there to wait for them, and they drive by going code one. Is that a problem? Where we're trying to look at ways to reduce our risk. How about Mayday? Is there a lot of uh, automatic aid out this way? Yeah? So automatic aid, we have it too. Cities that border right on us, automatically we're supposed to respond. It's not as automatic as it should be, but I don't know all their, their equipment. I don't know all their hoses. They have different types of equipment, and it's hard to keep up with the amount of equipment that I'm getting, much less know what this other agency is getting. But if I get assigned a writ, and there's a mayday, do I even know what their mayday policy is? Are, do I need to find that out at that moment in time? Or should we do a better job working together and sharing information? Absolutely. So since uh, we kind of got together, we, and as you saw, that all of us work for different organizations, funding started coming in to help support some of the initiatives that we're working on. And again, I say all this because none of this, we're, we're representatives of, of just firefighters. We're, we don't represent anything other than just people who want to do a good thing to help the fire service. We don't have anything to gain other than living healthier and longer lives. But we're seeing more and more people who want it to do this. We're not, sometimes I feel like it's working because we're not just affiliated with the IFF or the Fire Chiefs Association, two organizations that have, in the past, have kind of butted heads. But because we represent just safety and health, I think more people are willing to jump in on some of these things. And so are businesses and corporations. And so we created a, a nonprofit because of it so that we can put our resources in one place to help fund some of the programs that we're doing as well as um, um, some of the uh, website uploading of information, you know, all those things. But this, uh, this program has really expanded even to a national level. Um, these are just a couple of the, the, the groups that have, have started their own collaborations. And there's a whole, many, whole bunch more that I don't want to waste your time listing all of them, but it's expanding. Um, and there's just uh, some information on us becoming a 501c3. So uh, there's a gentleman named Larry Dolan. He works for Palm Beach County Fire, and he's their CISM leader. And he told me this, and it stuck in my mind because it was pretty accurate. The mental wellness response to the Parkland shooting was determined the day before the actual shooting. I was like, oh, okay, I get it. But let me show you and give you a little background of why that, that's pretty accurate. So uh, Chief Moser talked a little bit about how we established the, the safety and health program. 
2015 within our own department. And then in 2016, uh, we actually held our first meeting uh, to really establish how it's going to work. Um, our committee is made up of 11 different representatives, um, labor management training, uh, administrative staff, and risk management. Now, I always get like, well, we don't want risk involved. We don't want human resources involved. Keep those people away. No, you need them. Even if they disagree with you all the time, you need them back in there all the time because ultimately you are slowly chipping away at some of those barricades that are going to happen when a, something like Parkland happens. So you need your risk management involved. You need your HR involved with a lot of these uh, types of initiatives. And certainly our committee just focuses on, on those areas, but risk reduction, reducing our injuries, uh, cancer awareness, mental health, certainly, and health and fitness component. So these two people in this picture is my human resource director and our benefits manager. In November 2015, we held a clinician awareness in my own department. We had done it uh, twice in Palm Beach County. We had done it in uh, Central Florida already. And this one was the one we did in November 2015, 2017, and my own department hosted it. And so we invited our human resources, our manager, our risk manager, because we knew we needed to educate them too, that our current EAP system wasn't working. That when they call the phone number and they ask them, you know, are you having any suicide? After a certain amount of time, you start thinking, like, maybe I am. And then when you go to see a clinician, it's basically like a tow truck rotation. And you go, well, we'll give you these three people, but you got to call this one first. And then if that one doesn't work, we'll keep, uh, but you can call this one. And then if that one doesn't work, call this one. And if you actually go to one, guess what happens? Here's $40 for a copay. That one didn't work for you. Here's another $40. Here's another $40. What do you do? You get frustrated. You're like, this is not working. I don't want to... I don't want to spend 80, 100 bucks going to co-pays for people who are not able to help me. And I don't want to keep starting all over every single time and tell my entire story again. So we needed to educate them as well that there was a problem. And we can't just say, go to EAP. Because EAP is part of the problem. What else do we think? We go to EAP, fire chief's going to find out. My reputation might be damaged. My future opportunities might be damaged. I don't know what they're doing over there. Is that normal for us firefighters to think? Absolutely. That's why that other red line rescue works, because we need to take it out of that component of just going through EAP is the only way. So we know that collaboration has to work within this process. You have to work with others, too. So November 17th, we had this, and ultimately, I had a plan that if I can get my HR and I get all these people to buy into what we're talking about, ultimately, that will serve better for the members of the department. And it worked. So later, just within that month, um, the end of November, beginning of December, our city worked with us to eliminate all of our co-pays for all behavioral health and substance abuse for the fire department. Our union was also pushing for it too. That was a game changer. 
You know how much it costs the city? Because they, they eventually extended that benefit to every city employee at close to 800, almost 900 employees. How much do you think that that actually cost them? Hundreds of thousands? 37,000. It's nothing. And they thought it was nothing too. We then be began working with our insurance provider to go further. Because if someone did want to call the EAP process, we wanted to make sure that they had clinicians that knew what they were talking about, that either had already gone through our clinician aware program, or what is the vetting process for Cigna, which at the time was, do you have any experience? Do you have any experience uh, within working with first responders? It's pathetic. So that's actually expanded, and now we're actually working on um, uh, creating a, a more comprehensive process even within Cigna. While that was going on, um, we had our, our state peer team was working with uh, creating a statewide peer-to-peer -peer -peer group and bringing all the peer teams within the state of Florida uh, to, this, to work together. And of course, February 14th happened, and all of it came to fruition. Uh, so our mental health command post was started for almost 60 days. I got taken off uh, shift, put on days. And then uh, we had the IFF come down to help with coordinated. We had three days of peer-to-peer uh, -peer, um, connections to uh, all the firefighters that responded. We had about 100 firefighters that were actually on there um, that responded to this incident. But I'm going to give you a, a short-term, what our short-term plans or what our long-term plans are. At the end, you have a snapshot of both if you want to take a picture. Um, but we had CISM, peer support, um, our mental health resources were deployed, uh, we had a family uh, of first responders, and one of the biggest things that I would certainly say is suspend all the activities. You guys have target solutions? End at target solutions. So we suspended all of our activities, killed the target solutions, made sure that they weren't going to get late notifications for their training. Just stop. Just leave them alone. We had nine departments involved with that incident. One of the cool things that I was very most proud of is that the IFF flew in one team from FDNY to help with our peer support. Normally on these, they have been doing them. They had the Las Vegas one, the Orlando one. They actually had flown in 10 different teams. And after those 10 teams leave, what happens? There's a vacuum. Well, you look at all those shirts. Those are the people, those are peer support, and they're all local, other than the FDNY guys that came down. And when the, when the IFF left after those three days, nothing changed. We still had all those resources available. So it's important that we can't just depend on resources coming in, because they're all going to come. But then they're going to leave. And this, is, this doesn't go away. We did peer support for 88 visits, 29 fire stations, over nine agencies, and made 593 individual contacts to people. Pretty massive effort. We also looked at it from the trickle effect. So there were people on that that didn't, weren't actually at the scene, but the trickle effect of what happens, we wanted to make sure that we address that. Labor management, this is actually the deputy fire chief's office uh, on the bottom right there. IFF worked. They were awesome. One thing they know how to do is lead, coordinate, organize. They were fantastic. Um, so. Uh, our peer teams identified, of those people, we identified 60 people, and we've still been working with those 60 people. But we're talking about 60 people over nine different agencies. So we've had a follow-up meeting where we actually called um, 
the other department's peer teams, and if they didn't have a peer team, their IFF union official came in to get all the information, and we handed over those individuals in a sealed envelope to them to continue that, their follow-up treatment. One of the things I always ask, too, is certainly when it happens so quickly like this, um, you have to give your guys time to understand what happened. Because although he's directly involved and he has access to all that information, the majority of people who are in operations don't know what happened. They're right involved with the call that they're on. They have no idea of all the intimate stories that are going on, and they're getting it from the news. That's where they're getting off. So what they see on the news they're thinking is actual real information, and a lot of it wasn't. One of the things we learned from Orlando Pulse, because those guys were actually down with us helping, was that one of the firefighters said, man, I wish we just had more time, because all those guys ran from the, the club right to their fire station. It was blood all over their fire station floors. I wish they gave us more time off. Well, our fire administration gave any person, regardless of if they're on an incident, 30 days off if you want it. You take as much time as you want for the next 30 days. No questions asked. That was huge. That Orlando firefighter said, I didn't want to go back the next shift, but I did. And when I did, all they did was make me clean up all the blood in front of the fire station. Those are things we got to think about. Now, we did have some people that weren't on the incident that took advantage of that. It's okay. We knew that was going to happen, and you're going to get that. After 30 days, if you wanted more time, you would have to go speak to the health and safety officer and then just give an explanation. This is, again, a snapshot of what we did. Is after talking to the firefighters, we wanted to make sure that we talked to the family. We didn't want to do it the other way because we were getting people. Like, where's the family? Where's the family? Like, we want to make sure we talk to all the firefighters first because how would you feel if I wouldn't talk to your family before I even talk to you? That wouldn't go over well. So this is kind of a snapshot of what we did with family night. I am going to speed up here. Um, our HR developed a, their own website and wrote personal letters to every family's home, to the spouses, which had benefit information on it because none of us will probably take that information back to our spouses, right? So long-term plan, we had a 30, 60, 90-day kind of a response policy, and certainly we're coming up to nine months, and then the year here, we call it remembrance versus anniversary. Uh, February 14th, Valentine's Day will never be the same uh, for our organization or for the cities of Parkland and Coral Springs ever. One of the best things you could do, and I put this in a lot, food. What we did the first 30 days was organizations that wanted to help, Fort Lauderdale Fire Department, neighboring um, Del Rey, they brought food. What an awesome message. We're thinking about you. Here's some food. We don't need to talk about this, but here's some food. And the guys were like, awesome. I don't want to talk about this anymore either, but I'll eat the food. It's awesome. Food works in amazing ways. And I've had it in my other thing, the family night. Food, food, food. So... Um, that's an important part. The fire department didn't just stop and we're only dealing and focusing on that. We were dealing with a bunch of other things. So where do you start? Leadership. Your health and safety program has to be the, the foundation of all these other arms. Collaboration, sharing of resources, 
learning from others' experiences, clinical support, and certainly always have food. So I'm ending here with this. We had a firefighter suicide just a couple weeks ago. And I got calls from all over the country. Was he there? He wasn't there. Was this a surprise? It wasn't a surprise. We've been working with this guy for over two and a half years. Red flags everywhere. Except for he didn't say the magic word. He didn't say, I want to kill myself. I'm fine. I'm, I'm doing it. Working through it. We had clinical people working with him, psychologists, psychiatrists. We had peer support team working with him. We actually had his family structure fell apart. He lived with a division chief for six months for free. He lived with another firefighter for another six months for free. He had just came back from the IFF Center of Excellence. He was up there for 30 plus days. He came back. He was actually coming back that day to sign his paperwork to return to duty. Marie set up a sober home for him because there's substance abuse involved so that we knew he was coming back to work as long as he stayed clean, everything else good. He was a driver engineer. He had to take some drug tests. As long as he's clean, he's good. He never showed up that day to sign the paperwork. And that night I got a phone call that he had taken and completed suicide. Sarah Jenke, you guys know who Dr. Sarah Jenke is? She's like, Chris, you can have, this, you can have the perfect system as long as man has free will, they're going to do what they want. But you don't know how many people that you might be saving. And you may never know. So I beat my head up a lot when that happened. But I also realized there's a lot of other people that we're actually saving. And I've gotten people who've come back to me and told me that. We've had many people who we've sent to different... different uh, uh, facilities already. And I think the judgment on this incident is not over for us. We're still dealing with it, and we will be dealing with it for a long, long time. And so whether you have a program or don't have a program, we will pay the price some way, somehow. So thank you guys very much for your time. That's all for this episode. I encourage you to go back and listen to the other podcasts in this behavioral health series and to watch the videos. It can be helpful with the PowerPoint slides to follow along with. We hope to bring you more content like this in the future. And if you have any suggestions for future conferences, please reach out to me directly. Until then, take care of each other. We'll talk to you soon.